That's what Lauren... Till we're all growing a beard A man's face should never be bare We just want some facial hair We're anticipating, yeah, everyone's waiting for beard Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Behind the Beards, where we pull the curtain back, take a look behind the scenes, and try to reveal the things that go on in the hearts and minds of your church and ministry leaders. Mm. I am Joshua Fowler, a preaching minister in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and my beautifully bearded brother on the other side of the screen here, Aaron Partlow, youth minister in Longview, mm. Texas. And uh, Aaron just got back from a trip, man. I, I did, and uh, I am and do a beautifully wedding. bearded. Because I uh, trimmed up and pulled the pulled the line down and made sure everything looked good. Performing my first youth group wedding, um, so that was was a lot of fun. Youth group. My wedding. first kids from my youth group got married. Oh, that's awesome. Good, uh, uh, good folks too. Someone said, "Man, that's a big milestone uh, in your ministry career." So, and I said, "I think that just means I'm getting old." <laughs> Yeah, it happens. It does. It blinks, and all of a sudden, you're 34, and you're the oldest youth minister in the room, and people are looking for you for answers, and you're like, (laughs) I'm still figuring this thing out. What are you talking about? It was funny. Heather Heather had gone to lunch with some friends the other day. When she came home, we were talking about it, and I said, so let me ask you a question. I said, how do you see yourself in that group of ladies? Mm. And she said, I was just thinking about that. Um, (laughs) You know, because our youngest, you know, is about to be out of high school, right? Turn eighteen, so our youngest child is going to be an adult. And you know, here are these people that are kind of in our same age group, but a lot of them have younger kids and haven't been married quite as long, mm-hmm. or just in different. You know, everybody's in such a different stage of life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sometimes it's it's hard for us to see ourselves moving into that phase where people are looking to you, going so how do I get through this next little part? You've been through this before. Like, wait a minute. When did this happen? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You kind of still feel like that kid that's just learning along the way. And, uh, in one sense we are, that mentorship kind of grows (laughs) and it happens all of a sudden. It does. And people always ask me, you know, Hey, what are you going to do when you grow up and you don't want to be a youth minister anymore? You know, are you going to be a preacher? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet, but as I get older, I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm still, I feel like I can still do youth ministry in my thirties. So late mid thirties. So mid thirties, I'm no longer early thirties. I'll be 34 this year. My dear sweet dad's in the chat. We appreciate you being here. He, I now always know how old I am, uh, because of how old he is. Like he just turned (laughs) 65 or 64. Uh, and so I'm going to be 34 this year because he had me when he was 30. So his birthday was last week. Yeah, man. How's your mom doing? Uh, she's doing really good. Um, she's literally walking laps uh, wow. around me. So she's doing good. I've been, um, you know, I told her, I said, she's been pushing and doing her rehab. And she's just been doing such a phenomenal job and blowing everyone away. So I told her, you know, hey, if you push on your rehab, I'll push and work out with Lauren. Well, I regret it because she is <laughs> rehabbing so well that I am working out so well. That I'm like 15 pounds down and I'm sore every day because uh, we're really like kicking butt over here. So anyway, I'm just super proud of her and, and proud of my dad for uh, for all of that. They're doing a really good job. Yeah, it's been a uh, 
kind of a crazy little uh, i guess it's almost been a year hasn't it yeah yeah almost it's been crazy because wow. we went up in october it started right after october well the going into the hospital was was after was in october hmm. well we're gonna get into some things today yeah. um uh yeah we're gonna like just dive into the weeds not really uh, uh I, I don't know part of me thinks that it's not really kind of our traditional kind of a pod kind of an episode but it but it really is uh, but it, it is because it, it's the thing that a lot of things that we're dealing with and i've noticed i've mentioned you know deconstruction in classes and sermons and i've had a lot of people come up and say things like i don't i've never heard that right like, i've never heard that term you know what do you mean is this really a thing that you know the church is kind of facing and reconstruction is and it's not anything that's new but it is something that the church is looking at a lot of christians are looking at in, in different ways and different terms and so it's something that we need to address so number one we're not a, we're not afraid of it number two um we recognize what's going on mm -hmm. um and then number three we start to form healthier habits of re-examining our faith mm -hmm. and really approaching the kind of doubts that not only we have that maybe our kids have or these younger generation of Christians that are coming up. They're coming up in a world that's so different than the world that we came up in. Yeah, that's and true. How do, and how do we allow them to express doubts, express uncertainty, and really go back and re-examine things in a healthy way where they can kind of, kind of build on that. So um, it is important. If you've never heard the word deconstruction, don't turn us off. Um, in fact, tune in this week and over the next couple of weeks. Well, we look at some habits that we can make. Um, but uh, talking about deconstruction, deconstructing our faith, what does it mean? And why should I care? That for an introduction. Sounds, sounds like an introduction to me. You know, it's one of those <laughs> phrases. You know, as we were doing research over this, um, it's just, it is interesting because it's, the more you do research on it, the more you can connect with it because there might be some mm -hmm. aspects of your life where you have gone through this process, but we just didn't maybe have an official name for it, or we called it something else uh, at that time. And so uh, it was interesting, uh, you know, all the articles that I was reading and Josh uh, and I, we share articles uh, back and forth. Um, as I was reading it, I went, okay, yeah. Is that not an, like a normal natural part of your faith walk? Um, and so I think we're gonna talk about um, some pros and some cons or healthy ways or bad ways, uh, and maybe some stuff coming up in future episodes. But today is just kind of like, just like that bare bones. Um, and we're going to do our best. Like we're not professionals. Uh, I guess when it comes to fully, um, diagnosing, that's not even a right word. Uh, but, but we're going to do, we're going to do our best here. Uh, can we deconstruct deconstruction? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk about it from our perspective. How about that? Uh, one, one of the things that I want to be sure that we do is I, I want to approach this really as objectively as we can, because mm -hmm. obviously as a minister, as a Christian, as a father, as a husband who really firmly and truly believes in the power and the authority of the word of God, mm -hmm. the really easy thing to do is to take a swing on the other side of the extreme. Mm -hmm. Like so many people today have used deconstruction as a way of justifying a move away from faith. Mm. Um, that we can begin to describe and define deconstruction in a way that only leads you to affirm 
what I've already told you is true. Um, and that's not healthy either. Like if I really truly have faith in who God is and that his word is true and is sound and secure, I don't need to shield God or his word from examination. Right. So what I, what my objective is, is to provide people an open path to honestly assess what is true mm -hmm. and to assess my own motivation um, and the goals that I'm setting out so that when I do then begin to rebuild, um, you know, those, those tenets of my faith, they're built on a foundation that I've tested and, and has, has proven true. You know, it's interesting is you've said that phrase in there. Um, I have to, I have to deconstruct or I have to figure out my motivations. Um, and I would challenge our, our, our listeners uh, and anybody who might be going through this process to, to actually think about that part of the deconstruction process, your motives, because I actually feel like that is a huge part of, of our faith life in general is to look at our motives, uh, you know, and I, maybe it's because I just did that wedding and you go through that verse, um, you know, I can do all these things, but if I don't have love, then I have nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, you know, that true motive, that understanding motive, that love that comes from God. And so you think about, um, you know, I don't know, you, like you, you think about the things that you put in your, your life that people tend to deconstruct, you know, attending a worship service, being part of a church, um, doing these kind of things, you know, what are your motives uh, behind that? And what are your motives about, you know, uh, I don't know, cutting that out? You know, what is that? Right. Why is your motive uh, that? And I guess what I'm just trying to say is, is yeah, like evaluating our motives just in general, um, I think is, is such an important part of our faith walk. Um, it is, and I was just going to throw this um, definition up there for people to read, but then I remembered this is actually a podcast that we rip audio, right. so I'm going to go ahead and read it so that it does make it to our audio podcast. Um, deconstruction is the taking a part of a belief or a system into smaller components in order to examine their foundation, usefulness, um, or impact. Uh, you know, it wasn't really until I got into a study on the Enneagram that I realized the importance of motivation. Mm -hmm. um, that two people can do the same act and even have the same personality trait. Right. Um, yeah. But the motivation behind that action can be so different and, com and can come from such a different place of, of our inner self uh, that even though it might look the same and it might feel the same on the surface, those things that are at our core that drive us, those goals that we set, those things that motivate us to do and say the things we do mm -hmm. um, are really, um, they often impact the outcome in ways that we don't maybe uh, maybe recognize at the beginning. Uh, but, you know, there are things that we grow out of. And like I said, deconstruction is not new. The, the term is a little newer, right. um, but the actual... I don't know, you said when we were talking um, last night or the night before, you said it, it was about, uh, for me, it was about creating, um, what did you say? Making my faith my own. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that it, that it kind of grew out for us out of this, well, and it did when you moved out of the house. Now, mom and dad are Because your faith can't be your faith up. of your parents. Yeah, it has to right. be your faith. 
And we were just kind of told, hey, Mm -hmm. you got to make your faith your own. But we weren't given a whole lot of guidelines on kind of what that looks like to to make your faith your own. Uh, But we also lived in a world that, I mean, we knew the world was not Christian by any means. uh, But the expectation of the way of life wasn't so vastly different from the way that we lived as Christians. Uh, There were just a few pockets where there was some big differences. Uh, but as a general rule, families looked the same. Uh, you know, the expectations were the same. The laws of the land were pretty similar to about 75% of the laws of Christianity. And so it never really felt like we were really butting heads with the culture that we lived in. Uh, and I think we kind of grew up with this kind of belief that we could have have it both ways. Um, and it's it's so interesting when those things kind of come to a head where Satan rears his head and says, <laughs> you got comfortable and now I'm here. And, and yeah. now there is a real uh, opponent of the Christian way of life. Mm-hmm. And we've forgotten, not only have we forgotten, you know, how to, how to fight, how to defend our own faith, uh, we've forgotten the confidence that we can live, you know, in our faith with. Yeah. So... But we do recognize that we grow out of things, even as kids, right? I mean, right. I teach, I taught my kids when we were young, don't talk to strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Um, especially not, you know, if we're not around. Uh, but you know what I do on a daily basis? Do you talk to strangers? I, I do talk to strangers. Do you take candy from strangers? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes, um, you know, so we have to grow out. I mean, we understand as we grow that there are things that we're taught that are fundamentally fundamental truths when we're young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we stick to them for all of our lives, we never grow out of that phase of just being a toddler that's exploring the world for the first time. Boy, that would have been a good question for Josh Kincaid when we had him on. Like, hey, when you're writing writing children's curriculum, or if you write, does he? I don't know if he writes children's curriculum or if it's just adult curriculum. You know, how do you decide what stories or what to leave out in an Old Testament story or a New Testament story right. that is not a critical truth that a small child needs to hear? You know, um, like you hear, you know. So that would have been interesting. Well, how old were you he, when? <clears throat> how old were you when you really came to terms with the reality? Yeah, that the flood wasn't just a cute little story about an ark with a whole bunch of animals and Noah right. and his family sailing the seven seas. Yeah, um, the dread pirate Noah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but you really came to terms with the fact that the world, a world of people, lost mm. their lives in the flood. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long. I was, I mean, I was probably a teenager before I realized that that cute little stone that David threw. Um, mm. was more than that that actually he walked over grabbed his sword and cut off his head and held it up as a trophy that didn't make the children's story yeah. when i was a child you know? yeah and so there are things that are appropriate for children and we can't stay there so we do have to go back and constantly reassess yeah um you know it's all useful but how is it useful for for growth and for building mm-hmm and if I continue to build a robust faith on a foundation that was the that was only built when I was a, a baby or a toddler, um, it's not going to be able to support the complex ways that faith plays out 
as a growing and maturing Christian. And so it is so important for us to go back and to examine those things and say, okay, here's what I was taught. Here's what I know to be true. Now then how do I begin to expand on that and, and to continue to build on what I've known to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the danger that we see people getting into a lot of times today is we aren't deconstructing, but we're destroying. Yeah. Um, and we're not, we're not, we're going to go to motivations here in a, in a few minutes, but we're not looking to, we're not looking to rebuild. We're not looking to take something that we know to be sound and true and pure and make it better. Um, a lot of people today are, they're either tired, lazy, or selfish, and they're just looking for a way out. I was about to ask you that question. Um, that do you, what is, uh, you know, how do you feel about, you know, uh, that phrase that instead of deconstructing, like people are looking for an excuse, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to find an excuse. Um, and I think we talked about personally, like we talked about like this, this, like we're in a really weird period where the church, where we're looking for, um, well, let me restart. Think about like how many moments, how many classes have you taught where we said, you know, hey, we find our identity in Christ, not in how many likes you get on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about like what other people root and cheer you on for. And yet I feel like we're in such, um, and I say this in a general sense, because there's going to be people who stand and go, well, I don't feel this way. Okay, but I'm talking about like the general sense, and I'm talking about future generations and other stuff, where we're looking, where unfortunately I feel like people are looking for like this, um, uh, uh, that the world will agree with them. Like I can do this, right? I can do this and still be cool. I can do this and still be. Um, and so, you know, there's a, I think there's people who walk into deconstruction and they go, okay, what can I tear away and still maybe like say that I love Jesus, but then also be accepted by the world still. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because I feel like we're, we're entering into a stage where like, Christian ethics and morals really are going super upstream against worldly morals. Uh, And so deconstruction to some done in an incorrect way is giving them an excuse to be able to, you know, still float with the world. So here's kind of, um, from my perspective, this is what I see. I was raised in an era of Christianity, an era of the church that just simply said, don't doubt me, mm. you know, trust it. Mm. And you need to trust it because I said so that because I said so was good enough for the generation before me. And they often thought because I said so should be good enough for the generation that comes after. Mm. And if we had questions, if we had doubts, if we had concerns, um, it was almost presented to us as, well, if you have doubts and concerns and your faith isn't strong enough, you right. just have to have deeper faith. You just have to have better you're, faith. You're not believing um, enough. Right. And so as we got older and started realizing, you know, that doubts and concerns isn't a lack of faith, but it can it can drive us into a deeper faith. Then we started raising kids and I raised kids when I was young. A lot of the people I was raising kids with were older than me. And so, but the kids that we raised, what we raised them with was, no, Jesus says you can have the abundant life. 
And the abundant life means you can have a life of balance. And I want you to be involved in everything you can possibly be involved in. Mm. That you can have the abundant life in the world and the abundant life in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we misunderstood what Jesus said when I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. Right. That he does want us to have a life of balance, but he wants us to have a life of balance on the extreme. He wants us to have a life of balance that's balanced in his will and in his way, not in the ways of the world and in the ways of Christianity. And so now you have another generation of kids that, have, that are being raised up in the church that says we can have it all. We can have everything the world offers and we can have everything that the church offers. And then you go read things in, and you understand some concepts of Christianity that actually fly in the face of what the world has to say. Mm -hmm. And the world's looking at them as Christians saying, hey, I thought you said you loved me. I thought you said you were on my side. I thought you said we were welcome with you. But now you're telling me that this way of life is wrong, that this lifestyle is wrong, that this action is wrong. That's not loving of you to make me want to change and do something different. And so those Christians have then gone to seek certain aspects of Christianity that gives them the freedom to say, you know what? You're right. Jesus loved you and so do I. And I'm going to welcome you in and you don't have to change anything. Right. Because we've we've tried to create this culture of Christianity that says you can have everything Jesus offers and you can have everything the world offers as well. Mm -hmm. Because God loves you. And we've forgotten how to define love. Mm -hmm. We talk about this in our How to Speak the Truth in Love episode, right? I mean, if I love you, the truth reveals that love. If I'm right. if I'm hiding the truth or shading the truth or changing the truth, that's not love. It's not. Um and so that is where I've seen my generation, the generation after coming up, is we've misunderstood some things. And we're beginning from this foundation that is, is flawed because it's not the foundation that God has laid. It's the foundation that we laid alongside to try to make our two worlds blend in a way that's just not so uncomfortable. Well, it also feels like like we've we've taught that first part, but then we haven't taught the second part, and we remember the first part, and then mm -hmm. we stopped paying attention, and so then we didn't hear the second part, the transformation part, the sacrifice part. The uh huh. <laughs> and then it's like, and then because you know that's I tell my junior hires and my high schoolers probably every other week. I said, you know, it's interesting when the world tries to tell you how to be like Christ. And the world's only interested in not being like Christ. And you're going to look all over the world to tell you how to be a Christian or how to be like Christ. But where you need to look is in the Bible. And you need to look is in, in Jesus Christ's example <clears throat> and how he lives. Uh, and there's a real problem when you start to look to the world to teach you how to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my most recent um, challenge to my own kids and to the the young people and the adults that I teach is number one deconstruction is is, is scriptural examining your faith is scriptural mm -hmm. questioning the teachings that you're given and comparing them against the word of God is scriptural that sounds about as church as Christ church of Christ as like as it ever could be right like I was always taught and and dad I don't know if it was I don't know who taught me this but I remember hearing the phrase like, oh, you know, we bring our Bibles to church 
to make sure that the preacher's teaching <laughs> that's right teaching correct. the truth right uh you know like there was like this idea of like well you bring your bible class to class because it's your job to double check to make sure the teacher's teaching right you know uh, we could deconstruct that like we could break that down and, and be like okay right. well you know there's a lot going on there in that phraseology but you know it's that idea of of like hey whatever you teach me like i'm gonna research and i'm gonna look in god's word and and see where it's worth that um and i think there's a lot of things yeah i think it's interesting it's it's really interesting to me to do this and to talk about this subject because there were things in my life that i did go through this but i went through it i guess just in a different way you know Mm -hmm. we talked about this a little bit like when we were when i was reading articles like i was like you know it's People are sitting down doing this now, and I'm like, I feel like I do this like all the time, like. But I feel like I have mentors and I have other people that I talk to, and I go, you know, I was looking at this idea or this concept, you know, and and anybody who knows me knows that I struggle to dress up, like I do not enjoy fancy dress. Um, you know, I did a wedding. And, um, you know, I was like, man, I'll bust this thing out and you'll probably never see it again. (laughs) You know, I had to go buy a jacket. Yeah. Well, that was because I'm fat now, but thanks for bringing that up. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I mean, that's how long, I guess that's how long ago I was skinny last time I had to dress up. Um, you know, and so that's like one of those things that like I deconstructed. I went, why do we dress up for church on Sunday? You know, uh, and this is my personal, and I tell everybody this, I said, this is my personal and I, I studied and I went through and I looked and I talked to people and I looked up like these reasons, like, why did I, you know, why do we dress up on Sunday? Well, we put on, you know, our Sunday best so that we look good for God. And I'm like, but every time in the scriptures that Jesus talks about this, it's like always the guy who's dressed up, who's getting in trouble. (laughs) You know, it's the other guy who came with an open heart and open mind and came bleeding before the Lord. And it was all about the content of his heart and how he appeared and approached uh, you know, and so, you know, as I deconstructed that and went through that, I went, <clears throat> and I don't think it's that scriptural to, to really dress up, you know, on, on Sunday mornings, uh, for God, like there should be an effort to get our hearts and our minds and everything ready and put, probably put some effort into, you know, you shouldn't roll out of bed and get there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in that deconstruction process, I run across Paul, who's like, hey, man, I do all things to be able to be available to all people, Mm -hmm. you know? And so here's me deconstructing it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this lines up exactly with how I feel. And then I go, well, we make sacrifices also for things that aren't, you know, scripturally important, you know, salvation important. So what do you get from Aaron on Sunday mornings? You get a pair of blue jeans that I only wear on Sunday mornings, so they look nice. You get a collared button-down shirt um, that's untucked and short-sleeved, uh, but you need to get chacos, you know. So it's like a, it's like a wow, he's almost dressed up, or almost, almost. and then it's like oh, but he's also like almost not dressed up, uh, and so I guess like and that's a bad example maybe to some people, but there is like that that was part of my, you know, just a little small part of like. A de- deconstruction or reconstruction, uh, kind of a process for me, where I took this teaching and I broke it down and I looked and I looked at different aspects. And here I am, and I find myself in a place where 
um, you know, where I rebuilt that because I don't know, that's where I was. And maybe that's a hard, hard, uh, huge ramble there. And Josh no, is I, like, man, why do I even invite this guy on this show? I'm trying to remember what I was saying when you, when you got into that, but, uh, um, you can debate me. <laughs> it is. No, it is an example. I don't think you can have a bad example or a good example because it's just simply an example. And it's part of your journey. Oh, I can give a bad example. Trust um, me. <laughs> it's, it's part of – you can give an example of it being used badly, but you can't give a bad That's example true. because you're giving an example of someone's journey. Yeah. Right? Um, and I can, I, can, I can take those steps in the wrong way, um, but it still is a part of, of, of your growth and your inspection of those things. Mm. Re-examining those things is so important, um, you know. But this this truth that I've been telling people is like, look, if you're pursuing the way of Christ, mm-hmm. and you re-examine your faith, and you come to a conclusion, and you look behind you, and the world is cheering you on, right. and it's the world that's giving you amens, you can be pretty sure that that is probably not the way of Christ. Yeah, totally. Because. The world might not be opposed to you when you come and preach the gospel of Jesus, but they are going to be resistant because the way of Christ is going to force you to sacrifice. It's going to force you into change. It's going to force you to give up yourself. Mm-hmm. And at least initially, that is something that's going to be met with resistance. Um, and Which is interesting because in that exact model I gave right there, like there are in my example, like my motive would be to be able to, I could have stopped and I could have said, ah, see, the Bible doesn't say anything about dressing up on Sundays. And this goes exactly with what I want. Mm-hmm. This is perfect for me. And you can easily look at that and go, well, what were, what are your motives there? Uh, you know? Right. Uh, and so, you know, you ha- we have to move. Um, we have to move past that. We have to move through that. We have to do it in the correct way. And so exactly what you're talking about is, is moving in that proper way. Yeah. And one of my, one of my favorite examples is, uh, you know, you have a, a woman who's teaching, you know, her kids how to cook and she takes her mm-hmm. ham and she cuts the ends off of it. And the daughter says, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And she said, I don't know. It's just the way mama always did it. Right. And so she asked her mom, she says, I don't know. That's just the way my mom always did it. And she asked the great grandmother and she says, well, I don't know why you do it, but I did it because my pan was too small. And so I had to cut the ends off the ham so it would fit. Um, You know, there's nothing evil or wrong about the process of putting the ends off the ham, but only through inspection can we discover why something is there. And sometimes we find out that it's there because it's, it's needed and it's vital to our faith and to our understanding. Sometimes we find out that it, it served a purpose one time, but it doesn't serve that purpose anymore because we have a bigger pan. Right. Um, I mean, now when I get a brisket, I cut all the edges off of it. I cut all the, the top of the fat calf off. Fat calf? Fat cap off. Um, and if you ask me why, I'm going to tell you because some of it's burnt. Some of it's not going to cook. Um, if we don't cut this off, the meat inside is not going to cook properly, and, there, and there's still a purpose for that. And so that same that same act of cutting pieces off of something before it's cooked. One has a purpose that's still valid today. One has something that one has a purpose that was valid at one time, but really may not have any, any purpose any longer. Mm-hmm. And only through that inspection, can we find those things? 
Um, I love the example that I think it was the Sophia Society article we had. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Where, where it talked about taking a house, mm-hmm. take a house that's dilapidated and old, but it's got good bones and it's got a good foundation. And so as you're taking it apart, you're getting back to those core things that are solid and secure. And then we begin to build um, something new from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the foundation's good. The core is good. It's got good bones, I think is what the article said. It's got good bones. Right. It just needs a makeover. Um, and there are those moments where we kind of have to go back and inspect. All right. What, what are the core things? And sometimes I'm going to go back with the same things that, that I took off. Sometimes I'm going to go back to the same ways and processes. Sometimes you find me. out that there's something really new and brilliant and powerful that God wants to do on that foundation with a new, um, newly embraced faith. So. This conversation always remi- it reminds me of when we had Josh Jones on uh, and we talked about, um, oh, yeah, you know, everything's on the table, right? Everything's on the table. <laughs> Um, you know, and, but what's funny is like, I think about that and I go, you don't say everything's on the table and then you're like, all right, we're not going to do youth ministry anymore. Like, it's just all over, you know, like that, that's not on the table. Like, like that's not on the table. That's not where we're headed. And so I think, you know, if you're headed into deconstruction to get rid of the roots or get rid of the foundation, then there's some deeper, there's some other issues. There's some other things that need to be going on and, and talking about. Um, you know, it's not that you're getting rid of the roots or the core or the foundation, um, but maybe how things are built and put together. No. And and before we kind of get into wrap up mode, which we get here before we know it, um, pretty close. I want to, I want to talk about, you know, motivation Mm because you, we hit on that earlier. We've talked about Um, it a couple of times, but really kind of set in this for a moment because motivation is everything. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of, of young Christians today and a lot of older Christians today that are getting into this place where they're reexamining their faith because they've been hurt, mm-hmm. because they're going through some form of trauma that unfortunately um, is often sourced out of the church, or out of Christian people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing stories of abuse that are coming out um, it's and it's terrible. causing people, uh, it's causing people to throw everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to really be aware when I'm going into something like this of what is it that's driving me here? Because if it is pain or trauma or abuse, um, that's not going to be a healthy way for me to begin to examine something fresh. I mean, it's a valid starting point, but I've got to be honest with myself about what it is that's got me to this place. Mm-hmm. And then to deal with those underlying issues so that I can be motivated by a search for the truth. Um not a search to to be confirmed that I can do what it is that I want to do. Um, this uh, this always comes up when I see a church that says, and this is what generally goes, right? We are beginning a study on this topic. Uh, when you see a church or an eldership that says, we're going to begin a study on this issue, mm-hmm. what goes through your mind just as a as a Christian, when you hear another church or another body say something like that, you're gonna tell me why it's wrong, <laughs> or you're gonna it, try to convince me why we need to change. You're either gonna like there's only two options. At the end of this study, you're gonna tell me every reason why I should not be a part of it, or why it's wrong, or it's sinful, or 
in about six months, we're going to, you know, start allowing to have women pass communion trays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're either about to institute a big change, and almost always that's what it is. Yeah, is that's probably if we're going to, to <laughs> if we're going to introduce a topic like this or that we're going to study this, like it's something that's in our mind. Mm-hmm. This is what we want to do, and I'm going to present to you every scripture that supports my position. And I'm going to present to you zero scriptures that support the opposite opposite position. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's almost always formulated in such a way. It's it's rarely given to true study. Sometimes you're going to go through true study and you're going to say, you know what, I'm right where I need to be. And, and this is great. Sometimes you're going to say, there's a couple of things that probably need to be adjusted in what we do here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're going to say, you know what, I think we've kind of missed a boat on this deal. And we need to make a shift, mm-hmm. um, but it but it's rare to find that because we are so frequently motivated to seek the things that we trust mm-hmm. that will support our position and and confirm the way that we want to go, and so we got to recognize if we're responding to pain. We got to recognize if we're responding to trauma. We got to recognize if we're responding to this movement that says organized religion is bad and so it's just got to be you and jesus right um, you know that's that's not a healthy way to go about deconstruction <laughs> walk it, away from the thing that, that jesus established yeah uh, wait what and so i've got to reset my motivation where it's like you know what i i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna search for the truth i'm gonna i'm gonna seek to find these objective ways in which we can process the word of god mm-hmm and um, and I'm going to live with the results, you know, whether that is good for me, whether it's difficult for me, whether it is a, a challenging for me, but I'm only after the truth. I'm not after some confirmation. Right. And I, I think the only way you can do that is with, you can't do that on your own. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot be objective with myself um, because it's too hard for me to understand where my biases lie and how my own experiences have shaped and formed my ability to perceive. And so I have to have a community around me that I trust, that I respect, and that's going to be completely transparent with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and has given me the ability to be completely transparent with them. Mm-hmm. You've been that community for me. Um, I've had communities of faith, churches, that have oftentimes been that place of community. There have been other little groups of, of friends that have served in that role. Um, but when we go and do it on our own, we're going to come back with uh, just what we wanted to hear, right? Yeah. If I'm looking for signs, looking for. if I'm looking for signs, signs are everywhere. Or if we are, it also depends on, like, you can also surround yourself with a biased opinion as well. Echo chambers, yeah, you know, and so, like, it's just you know, so you've got to be careful of that as well. Like, you can have good echo chambers, but you can also have bad echo chambers, you know, because I see an echo chamber ever good. I see, well, when they're saying me that I look good, yeah. Oh, okay. So they're echo. (laughs) Hey, I look good. Yeah, you do look good, Aaron. You do look. I appreciate that. Um, no, you're I'm not going to tell right. you you've got food hanging off half your beard, but man, you That's look right. good. <laughs> That's just white hair coming through. 
Um, unfortunately, like I see, a, I see a lot of yeah echo chambers that kind of happen. Like, oh, this guy, he they found an excuse no longer to like have to go to church. Um, so uh, I'm gonna do it too, you know. Um, yeah. Well, look, over the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to talk about some some unhealthy practices mm. that have kind of come mm. about. Um, but more importantly, um, I want to talk about some healthy ways of going about just yeah. re-examining the things of our faith. Like, how do we yeah. do this honestly, objectively? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we approach something that we've typically taught to be concerned about, to be afraid of? And, and how do we remind ourselves with regularity that... Um, God is more than capable of defending himself against my own doubts and uncertainty. Right. And I think he can endure my examination. You know, my wife tells me that I can be scary when kids come to the house, um, especially boyfriends or girlfriends of my children. They say, you know, Josh, you're a little bit intimidating. Good. Well, that's okay. But God's not intimidated by me. (laughs) That's right. No, not at all. Not, Not at all. Not at all. And I think his word can hold up to my examination. And if my faith can't stand up to examination, then it really needs to be examined. Um, yeah. And and it's not something we need to be afraid of, but it is some things that we need to develop some healthy habits around. Um, our kids are going through this. I mean, our young people are growing up in a world, um, even a world of Christians who are telling them that this is okay for you um, to just kind of walk away from, that you can, hey, God's still going to love you. And you can still be one of God's people and you can come and do this thing over here because this is what the Bible says. Right. And if we haven't taught them how to practice a healthy way of examining and owning their own faith, um, we're just going to continue to lose young people out the back door of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think what we find when we really examine them is not only is our faith powerful and strong, um, the faith that we have will change the world. And it will give the world exactly what they're looking for, but it'll give it to them in the way that God designed them to receive it, not in the way that they're pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, maybe we'll save Absolutely. a behind the beards moment. I do not have a behind the beards moment. Uh, I don't yet. I don't yet. Uh, absolutely not. But we want to thank you all for being here today and growing through and walking through this podcast with us. Uh, we appreciate you if you've been here from the very start, but we also appreciate you if you just wandered in um, and you're subscribing now. Uh, we appreciate you all and we love you all. We want to remind you of Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary in doing good. This world is messy and this life is messy. So allow Christ to use you to do something different, something good in his name. I'm Aaron and that's Josh and we will see you next week. I'm behind the beards. Till we're all growing a beard. A man's face should never be bare. We just want some facial hair. We're anticipating, yeah, everyone's waiting for beard.